Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shani, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. And today I have Renee Mill with us, director, principal, clinical psychologist, supervisor, and best-selling author. Now, Rene has counseled hundreds of individuals, couples, and families for over 30 years. Rene has worked intensely on creating a new technique for dealing with generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety, fear of public speaking, performance anxiety, and panic attacks. She has published three best-selling books and lectured in Australia, China, Israel, the United States, and South Africa. Welcome, Rene. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So, Rene, as a GP, I see so many patients with anxiety. But more importantly, I think when they present, they come in with other symptoms. And especially in the integrative world, they may come with gut symptoms. It could be, even just be headaches. It could be thyroid disorders, fatigue. So it's like a spectrum of symptoms. And when we probe and we always ask questions about stress, mental health. And I think it's a massive contributor. And what I always say to patients, how important stress is and how we need to know how it affects our body. And once we manage that, that can have a massive impact on our health. So I'd love to first of all start, and we're going to dive into anxiety, stress and burnout. But I'd love to start, how did you get into this field? Like what made you so passionate about it? Can I call you Shami? I was originally an occupational therapist in the 1970s. And I, it was a very practical course, and it was it was actually at medical school. It was a very high level course, but we did a lot of it was before computers, and we did crafts and activities, and we spent seven hours of a day. We had mental hospitals in the seventies in South Africa, and keeping people busy. But actually, it was a very targeted way of finding activities that would get people moving, get people sharing, we did psychodrama, we'd find crafts and activities that would give them meaning, all the things that 30 years down the line people have done research on and confirmed that this is really good treatment. So I've always been looking for practical solutions and seeing the benefit of it. I then went into psychology and my university was very analytic. So it was the complete opposite side. It was all about understanding your past and talking about your history. And I saw there was a gap between people would come in talking about anxiety and stress. And no matter how great their insights, nothing would change. So when CBT came along, for me, it was like a fusion of by then maybe 15 or 20 years of my work and going, you need both. You need to think differently, but you also need to do things differently. So when I then started approaching my work with anxiety, I brought all this knowledge and started thinking about ways to really help people in a practical way because people want solutions. They don't always want to just sit and understand. And sometimes it's not actually sort of sequential. Sometimes people come in wanting solutions and then they open up to talk about other things. Sometimes they only want tools and solutions. And vice versa, sometimes people just want to understand. So it's always been an interest of me how to benefit people in the best way that speaks to them and the way their minds work and their lives work. But also knowing things like, as I say today, we know that exercise is vital. I mean, as a student, I was teaching people shot put and javelin 
Wow. Because we did all these fascinating, it was the most fantastic course, getting people moving in different ways. And, you know, we're back to that going, how do we get people motivated? Because often movement helps stress and the body, as you're saying, things more than just talking therapy. Absolutely. It's actually needs a very holistic approach in terms of managing it. Because oh. from our end, we, meaning we talk about nutrition, nutrient deficiencies, gut health. So there's a whole spectrum. But I'd love to sort of dive into what is the difference between anxiety, stress and burnout? So people use the words interchangeably, and it is important that we clarify the differences. So stress is good. It's not even you stress. All stress is good until it reaches a tipping point. And that tipping point can come about either because we can't carry that load anymore, or often stress is a perception that I can't carry this load anymore. But we all need stress in order to function. And I think it's a pity that often people see stress in a negative way. And often just by reframing something like, oh, I just today I saw someone, you know, my job is so taxing. And then in a moment he went, but actually it's quite challenging. And the minute he said it's challenging, he sat up straight in his face and I love the challenge. And so I said, well, you have a choice. You can go, oh, it's so hard, it's terrible. The same load going, it's a challenge, I can mobilize, I'm learning new things. So stress generally is good, but it's knowing where that tipping point is. And this is where self-awareness is very important, actually, with all three. Anxiety is when there's all these physiological responses that come with it. Fight and flight, of course, there's freeze as well, but people don't generally come with freeze. They're feeling these panic attacks or their heart is racing or numbness of their feet and hands or digestive gut symptoms. So I deal a lot with the physiological responses when it comes to that and also rumination and imagination on fire are very common symptoms of anxiety. So stress sometimes tips into anxiety where you start not being able to sleep at night's another one. You start having these symptoms and you can't switch them off. And often you need to have various kinds of treatment for it. Burnout is neither of those. Burnout is depletion. Burnout is when I cannot continue. There's nothing left. I'm empty inside. And burnout is much, much harder to treat. And so people need to check in regularly. This is something I teach people. What am I feeling today? How am I coping with the stress? Am I having physiological responses that need to be dealt with or thoughts that need to be changed or challenged or switch off the rumination? Because once burnout hits, that's the hardest to actually treat. And you want to prevent burnout before it reaches that point. Beautifully explained. Actually, it's so much more clear, even in my mind. I loved how you mentioned about rumination. And often I actually have patients go, I just can't sleep because my mind is ruminating. And we're going to sidetrack here a bit because I want to talk more about burnout. But any tips on rumination? So this is where I have to give a little commercial break into my RP. Because the brain, again, in the 70s when I trained, we used to talk about hardwired. We don't talk about that anymore. You know, we learned about the motor cortex, the verbal, and everything was fixed. But it's not like that. We know now the brain can change completely. So what happens with rumination is you have the same thought over and over, and it becomes more and more entrenched. And so just simply trying to switch it off can be very, very difficult. You can. You can try meditation and breathing. So what I've developed 
is a four-step process where we practice new thoughts and the Hebbian principle says neurons that fire together, wire together. So you keep thinking the same thought, I'm a loser. You then have a stress reaction or you have cortisol or some hormone that comes and literally glues it in. And even if you're having a good day, that thought is going over. So you need to develop new thoughts in order, the Hebbian principle says, when you develop the new thoughts, that will unwire the old thoughts. So there's no quick fix. In my system, we have to practice new thoughts and new behaviors enough times that that becomes the default, and then you can switch off the rumination. Right. So that makes sense. How do we create new thoughts? Is it, it sounds like any change in habit takes a lot of effort. So it's persisting because the thought is actually a habit as well, the initial thought, which is causing that distress or stress. So when you're shifting a thought, that actually takes hard work. Is that right? Well, not really. So that's one thing I try and demystify and make things easy. In my process, it's very, and I can only talk passionately about that. It's not difficult. Mine is is multiple choice. And I have replacement thoughts. And this is actually based on a type of trauma therapy called cognitive reframing. So often CBT means people have to find their own alternative thought. I don't ask for that, that people found that very difficult for the neurobiological reasons I just gave you. You're thinking I'm a loser, I'm a loser. And then psychologists said, okay, well, how do you reframe it? Well, I can't think of a new thought because I'm a loser, I'm a loser. So I have 10 helpful thoughts on my worksheet. And when you do the four-step process where you notice that you're anxious or you're ruminating, you then validate it. And then step three, and this pause point is very important, you say, suddenly I realize I have a choice. I can stay stuck in the thought. And then you choose one of the 10 new thoughts. So, for example, it might be a very common thought. I just, my last patient now was just talking about, I'm unique. I'm the only person that has this issue. In fact, what he said to me, I don't believe anyone in the world works as hard as me. And I have to tell you, I started very early this morning and I'm still going on now. It's quarter to seven at night. And I thought that's a unique thought. But many of us work hard. I don't know if I work harder than him or not, but I'm sure there are many, many people. But when we have that thought of I'm unique, we feel much, much worse. The tool for that is I'm not exceptional, meaning not that I'm not a unique, wonderful human being. I'm not an exception to the rule. So when you go, many people work this hard, so I'm not different, then I just have to deal with the problem of working hard. I don't have to deal with two problems. I work hard and poor me, I'm the only one like this. So I have 10 what I call helpful thoughts. And by practice over and over, because you keep coming up if that's your thing, and over and over, you read, I have a choice, and you actually believe this is an average situation. Many people work hard, or many people have gone through this, or whatever your thing is. Over time, it's only 90 days. I know you said hard work. It's really not years. 90 days it takes to rewire a thought. Wow. Okay. That gives so much hope, actually. Really amazing. So, Rene, can we find that in your workbook? I think one of your books is the Anxiety Management Manual. Is Yes, so that's normally for psychologists, but I have a self-help book is called Anxiety-Free, Drug-Free, and my whole system is there, and anyone can download it or buy it from Amazon, and the worksheets are in there, and it's a chapter a week over 10 weeks. That's amazing. That's phenomenal. Thank you so much. Let's get back to burnout. 
How do we, you mentioned it's really important that we actually identify early and preventive. So what can we look for when we're thinking about burnout? So there's three main symptoms of burnout. The first is fatigue, but it's sort of not normal fatigue. It's something that even a good night's sleep doesn't take away. It's that depletion, empty, I'm exhausted beyond. It's a very, very deep fatigue. And often that's where a lot of the physical symptoms come in, illnesses. So often people keep getting pneumonia or bronchitis or ear infections or gastric issues. That fatigue or not getting better is linked to that first symptom. The second symptom is cynicism. People start feeling, I don't enjoy my job, the world sucks, the conspiracy. There's just this feeling of cynicism about the world. And the third one is lacking of competence, incompetence in oneself. So even if one has done the job very successfully for years, you start thinking, I can't do this job anymore. I'm not good enough. So as soon as you notice any of those three things happen, those are the signs of burnout. And often people disregard that they just keep working harder or they keep pushing themselves. And you're absolutely right, because when I hear patient stories, they may have been in burnout for months, if not years, and they've just pushed through. They've literally pushed through and finally they may come to me with various symptoms and looking for solutions, but there's definitely a clear picture of burnout in the background. Why do you think we are not identifying early enough? What's going on in society? Is it a society thing? Are we celebrating stress? Are we celebrating, you know, working long hours, where have we gone wrong? Well, I'll start with your second point, because actually, I think that's absolutely true. Being busy has become a status symbol. There's actually a whole lot of research around it now. You can read since about 2016. Can't think of the main researcher's name now. But she talks about no one says I'm having a lovely day or a fulfilling day. Everyone's busy, right? Even me today, I started early. I'm finishing late. We live in a culture where, you know, people are busy and they need to tell you how busy they are. Even if they're home, you know, mom is at home, they'll tell you how many carpools they had. And there's always things, how many meals they have to cook. There's sort of this need to do that. So I think there is that need to push through. I think it's, I just want to tell you this, that the World Health Organization in 2019 came out and said that burnout is not, we must stop blaming individuals. It's not the fault of individuals. It's actually the culture of organizations. Yeah. So and often we have to work. We live in a society where buying a house has become impossible, all those things, inflation, whatever. People have to work that hard. And we're in organizations and cultures that really do not care about the human being. And so they'll do things like make you work very long. If you do training, I remember a few years ago, I refused to do it. I was asked to do modules that people in a bank have to do after hours, not during working hours on bullying. So you're working a full day and then you're expected to do it and then you've got to get points in order, all that kind of thing. People are really made to work. The culture generally in society is really not good. So we're stressing ourselves because of we're trying to achieve We're being stressed by our culture, but often that culture is our own family. Sometimes we're in a family system that's creating burnout, whether we have a child who has temper tantrums or is oppositional or poor relationships or we ourselves. I deal with a lot of people who have such poor management skills that cooking dinner every night causes stress. 
and there's all this culture of chaos. So it's not enough just to look at the person. One has to look at the culture of the system where that person is in to deal with burnout. I think another thing, which everything has a double side, right? So now we talk about mental illness very openly, but people don't want to think everything's mental illness. They don't know there's a thing of mental wellness or just checking in every day. You don't have to be sick to check in, "Mm, have I got a bit of sore throat today or my muscles are a bit sore so I won't do gym. We sort of naturally do that physically. Some athletes may push through and injure themselves, but I find that people check in physically much better. Oh, I've got a bit of a headache, I'll go to bed early. But somehow there's a little bit of a stigma about thinking about mental health. And I think we have to teach people to check in, just like we check in physically, to check in every day, you know, what am I feeling? What do I need to do? Do I need an extra sleep? Do I need to talk to a friend? Do I need to do something fun? They don't have to be medical. There are lots of everyday things that is good for our health and for our mental wellness. You said some really important points. And one thing that really came to my mind, I was reading some literature and saying 50% of doctors would reach burnout in a year in Australia. And there's actually a Facebook group of a thousand female GPs who've reached burnout. And it's not talked about. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we're in giving roles, like you're in a giving role, doctors are in a giving role. If doctors themselves don't identify what burnout is, how can they identify it? in their patients? How can they educate their patients? And if anything, it needs to start with professionals in a caregiving role, like whether it's counselors, allied therapists, doctors, to actually start talking about it. Like how can we change our work environment (laughs) to actually support a great mental well-being? But it's actually not talked about, Renee, which is I find quite bizarre for And look at how doctors are trained. Government talks about it. You have the worst training. You, where you work as an intern and you can go 36 hours without sleep, no one ever has a union. You don't have a union saying it's unacceptable or someone saying go home. It's part of your training to work like that. Absolutely. And also there's levels of hierarchy, especially when I trained over 20 years ago, the hierarchy, fear-based learning. We were very fearful of our consultants, our seniors, and it was really fear-based learning, long hours, we weren't taught about nutrition or really look after ourselves. So you're absolutely right when I think back on exactly what you said. It's got a lot to do with the workplace on so many levels. So, and maybe that's a conversation to have in your workplace. Like how can we manage, what do we need to do? And we need to listen to the people who are helping us. So, you know, you're absolutely right. You mentioned some really good points about identifying it. Before we go on to prevention, what can we do to treat it? You mentioned about checking in with yourself, but what are the key steps to move towards treating? In my experience, when people are really burnt out, they actually need a complete break. So if they're working, and I'm sure you have patients like that, I tell them to stop working for a month. They actually have to have a complete break from everything and do as little as possible and not go back to that culture. And then when they go back, to go back very, very slowly and to adapt at various things. So when people have proper burnout, I I don't think there's any other cure. Wow. So you really want to prevent it. How do you have that conversation about taking time out when they may have a lot of like responsibilities or they just feel that they're committed to work, they've got a project? Because I have this conversation a lot (laughs) with my patients because, you know, I really encourage time out, especially when you're trying to recover from a viral illness or you're recovering 
from any other illness when you know the body needs rest, but they feel I'm the only one that can do the job at work. I need to complete this project. What kind of conversation can we have? You know, I've become known, bothered me before, but doesn't anymore as saying things very directly. And maybe it's because I'm South African, <laughs> but I will be very direct and I'll say to someone, and normally, you know, I'll know them for a while. I'll never say it in the first session. I'll show them how they're getting worse and I'll explain to them what the ramifications will be and we'll work on their values, like what it'll mean for your family if you take time off and we'll talk about material benefits. And generally, most of the people who are in jobs they will get paid because I make sure they get stress leave and normally their GPs will write something. So that takes the financial side. But it does take an education of, you know, your priorities and, and your health is the most important thing. But most of the people that I've met who are burnt out, they know they can't continue. They are so empty. So I, there isn't a lot of persuasion. It's more when people are stressed and living unhealthy lives and you can see they're on the road, that's when I find they have bigger blocks. So true, so true, because it's not really feeling the pain as such. Take action, absolutely. And um, So apart from time out, is there anything else that you advise patients when they're feeling burnt out? Well, I like to use, one thing that I find very motivating is I use Stephen Covey's sharpening the saw analogy so when people tell me I can't take time out, this is actually one of my chapters in the book, I will talk about, I'll just say what the story is in case some of your listeners don't know, that there was once this woodchopper who had a blunt saw and he was huffing and puffing and trying to get this tree knocked down and a passerby walked past and said, excuse me, but do you know that your saw is blunt? And he got furious. He said, do you think I'm stupid? Of course I know it's blunt, but I don't have time to sharpen it. I've got a whole forest I have to cut down. So the analogy is, well, the metaphor is you are the saw. And if that woodchopper had just taken half an hour to sharpen the saw, he would be much more efficient. So I find that a lot of people, especially who work and who pride efficiency in work, I don't talk about it as taking time out. I talk about sharpening the saw. You will work better. You will be more productive. You will reach your goals if you do this. And then we talk about five domains that you need to do every week and in order to sharpen the saw. So again, I don't use the word mental illness. I'll just talk about sharpening the saw, being your best. I find people like that language quite a lot. And so then it'll be, you know, what are you doing everything physically? You need to make sure you're eating. You were talking about nutrition, eating regularly, sleeping enough, doing exercise. And then they, they, there's a calendar where we talk about putting your priorities in first. So that will be the first thing. I have lots of people who don't eat properly and they actually have to put in breakfast or lunch. And then we'll talk about social. Are you making sure you're having a social engagement a week, depending on how so, but if people at least need one a week. Then we talk about emotional. So that's coming for therapy, but it could be intimate time with your partner or quality time with someone who's very special to you. Then spiritual could be anything religious. It could be yoga, it could be meditation and then mental. So, even if you're a doctor, what can you do to stimulate the brain that's not medicine? Could be learning an instrument, could be doing Sudoku. And that way, I talk about like if you have an athlete, you know, if you have a tennis player, he doesn't just strengthen his arm, he strengthens his whole body. 
And so we're talking about strengthening the whole of you, sharpening your whole saw so that you can go back to work and be much more efficient. Really, really helpful tips. I can't wait for my patients to listen to this podcast. Thank you, Renee. So moving on to prevention, because love prevention. This is the field that we're in. What can our listeners do to actually prevent burnout from happening? So every day, as I said earlier, to check in, to take a minute and go, how am I feeling today? And again, not in a wishy-washy side. What am I feeling? What are my body symptoms? I've got headaches, aches, and pains. Is this a recurrent headache? Just a a three-second check-in. How am I feeling physically and mentally? What's my mood like? And if something's chronic, I always say more than two weeks. My mood has been low for two weeks. So I've been crying every day for two weeks or I've been exhausted for two weeks and nothing I'm doing, then that's the point to come and talk to you and go, what should I do? Or go and see a psychologist. So check-in is the most important thing. So what you can talk about check-in, pause, check-in and reset. So you take a minute, you check in on this thing, and then resetting might be, my mood has been a bit low. What can I do to lift my mood? And I tell people, and I do this myself, Where do you get your humor from? Every day at lunch, I watch a YouTube clip, a five-minute comedian, someone that makes me laugh. I talk about a belly laugh. And just laughing lifts your mood. Again, it doesn't have to be a psychological thing. Or going for a run will lift your mood. Or talking to your best friend. Whatever works for you, playing music. I need to lift my mood. It's three or four days now I'm feeling down. These are all practical, easy things to do that. Or if I'm becoming cynical at work and I'm to actually think about, do I need to change my environment? Do I need to speak to my manager and say that he's overloading me or she's overloading me? What do I need to change? Because I'm noticing that every day I'm waking up and going, what's the point? I'm not enjoying my job. So rather than pushing through, think about what you can change. So those are the kind of, I'm very into practical things to start with. Often that's all you need to do, just reset. I love that. We all need to reset all our lives. We all need to notice and reset. And if we do it quickly and easily, it prevents all kinds of things. That's amazing. You actually made me smile when you were saying about the laughter in midday. I think I might adopt that. That sounds fun. I love a good belly laugh. That is awesome, Renee. Thank you so much for for your time. Just invaluable tips. It's been amazing. Where can people find you? Well, I'm in Sydney, so I, I have a full-time practice. I do face-to-face and telehealth. Actually, I do telehealth all over the world. My books are all on Amazon, yes, and on various podcasts on Spotify. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Renee. Thank you for this opportunity. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.